Hello, Financial Residency listeners. This is Taylor Inman, the doctor and brains behind the Financial Residency. This is our third podcast of our Australian adventures. We are broadcasting from the Whitsunday Islands. We are on a pontoon in the middle of the Great Barrier Reef, sitting in our hotel room, looking through the windows with huge fish and tiny fish swimming by as we talk. So we're having a great time. Today's podcast is going to focus on what makes a financial plan, and I'll let Ryan give you all the details. The brains behind the operation, huh? Okay, I see how it is. A couple shows in and you're taking over. I love it. You are the brains, though. I say it on the show all the time. And we are in an amazing spot here, and I'm going to be posting some cool stuff on our Instagram. You can follow us at Financial Residency if you want to see Some of the travel photos, but this video of what we're going to take from sitting in this little stateroom and what we're looking at with the fish swimming by is absolutely amazing. So you guys got to check out our Instagram just for that. But like Taylor said, we're going to be talking all about building a financial plan today and what goes into building a plan. Now we're 175 episodes in, and if you haven't gotten the gist of what goes into a plan, you need to go back and re-listen to a bunch of shows. But in this show, I'm going to also highlight some of the shows that are important for you to go back and listen to if you're at a stage that you need more information on a certain subject. Like if we're talking about estate planning and you have no idea what I'm talking about, there's a great show that we did on estate planning that was titled Everything You Need to Know About Estate Planning. We did it in August of 2019 that the episode released, just did a solo show and gave you guys a ton of great information there. So I'll be carrying out some of the shows that We're pretty good that you need to go check out on building a plan, but we're writing our book and well, the book is written and it's with the publishers now and it's coming out in April and Taylor and I are really excited for its release and that book is going to be detailing out exactly how to build out your own custom financial plan without ever needing to work with an advisor. You'll be able to DIY your own custom plan. This show is going to be a very abridged version of the book because the book's going to have tons of templates and guides and little things that you can check boxes because all physicians love to check boxes. So there's lots of good stuff inside there. I can't wait to jump into our show today to talk all about what makes up a financial plan. I'm going to pass it over to Taylor and she can tell you a little bit more about where we're at. So first, I'm going to give you some updates on our vacation that we've had. So first, we stopped in Melbourne for Ryan to talk financial planning conference about podcasting. We did a broadcast there with some financial planners from Australia sharing their accents and wisdom about finance. From there, we headed up to Ayers Rock or Uluru, where we did an episode on couples getting on the same page. While we were there, we hiked around Uluru. I got Ryan up early. We watched beautiful sunrises, beautiful sunsets, and just had a great time. From there, we came up to Whitsunday Islands, and we spent time on Whitehaven Beach, which is like the world's most beautiful beach. Actually, it's the second most beautiful beach in the world. Currently, we're spending the night on a pontoon and having a great time. I even got Ryan up in a helicopter to look at the reef from above. And then we have gone scuba diving to look at the reef from below. It's just been an amazing trip. We've gotten to do all kinds of bucket list items here. What does this have to do with financial planning? Why am I telling you about all the great times that we're having? It actually has a whole lot to do with financial planning because if you listen to the Friday show, you'll know that every good financial plan starts with cash flow planning and life planning. I'm not a big fan on cash flow planning. That's more Ryan's arena, but the life planning is really important. And we've been planning for this trip for the past 15 to 18 months. This was one of Ryan's goals in life was to see the Great Barrier Reef before it goes away. 
So we wanted to see the Great Barrier Reef at some point, and this conference came up, and we said, what a good time. We'll go to the conference and go see the reef. So, you know, in order to be able to come on this trip, it really started with good life planning and knowing what was important in life. And what's important for us is to be able to do some of our bucket list things and travel. And so we've saved from other areas knowing that this was important to us and this was part of our goals and part of our life planning. So we could focus our spending on places where we really want it to count and areas that are important to us. So I'll let Ryan talk a little bit more about life planning and then the boring cash flow planning. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy now. Casey's freaking out because you're talking bad about cash flow planning too. So the life planning piece is really important to a great financial plan. And sometimes clients, when they start working with us and we tell them like, hey, your first two meetings, we're not even going to really discuss numbers. We want to get to know you, the real you, what your goals are. And we have a framework that we've talked about even on the show with the George Kinder's three questions and bringing George on to talk about how we have our relationship with money. And that's really, really important. The behavioral finance side is something that most people don't talk about because they don't understand how much our behaviors really influence how we manage money and how we have a relationship with money. I've never had someone tell us, you know, hey, I just want to earn a whole bunch of money and then die with it. There's tons of goals. There's, hey, I want to write a book. Hey, I want to travel the world or go on the world cruise ship, which looks crazy cool. It's a cruise ship that travels the world literally port to port. You follow it. Everyone's got goals. No one wants to just earn a bunch of money, slave away at a job and not use the money. So life planning is really, really important. And that kind of segues into cash flow planning. First, you have to go through and figure out what type of life you want to live. Where is that ideal life going to take you? Then you back up and say, well, now how am I going to pay for that? Traditional planning says, well, how much do you earn? How much do you save? Well, this is what you can do. But if you think about it on the opposite way and saying, well, this is what I want to do. How can I have my money work for me? Then it works out a whole lot better because you end up doing things that are a lot more fun and bring a whole lot more happiness or Marie Kondo's spark joy in your life. So with cash flow planning, we've talked a bunch on it. We always talk about it on the Friday show. It's really, really important. I'm not going to get into the crazy specifics here, but that is something that you have to master. You have to take control. Does that mean that you have to spend or track your spending penny by penny every single month for the rest of your life? Absolutely not. It does not mean that at all. But what it does mean is that you need to know at least the relationship of how money flows in and how it flows out. And in the beginning, you probably do need to track penny for penny to just see wherever you think your money is going is actually doing that exact thing, you're going to be very surprised when it's not. And I don't care if you track everything currently, you need to be more in touch with your money in the beginning part of this. And then over time, loosen the reins up, especially if you have a high savings rate, the amount of time that you have to spend on your cash flow planning decreases rapidly if you have a high savings rate. So just to recap quickly on cash flow and to introduce the stuff that we've talked about on the show a lot is you obviously want to have the right structure. And so I talk about one joint checking account that all your money flows in, and then each goal has its own separate savings account. I would also have a sunk kind of cost savings, which would be the things that come in semi-annually or quarterly. This could be your auto insurance instead of going, "Uh uh-oh, I forgot that we owe $1,000 for our auto coverage in July. You're saving it every month into a separate savings account. The bill comes, you pay the bill, transfer the money up, and all is well. It didn't blow your budget up. And that also allows you to automate things. And automation is critical once you've figured out what your actual savings rate is and how money flows, because we're all creatures of habit, that money will flow generally to mostly the same spots. And if you're saving and paying yourself first, you know that you can automate a lot of this stuff. And then the the last piece that I want to leave you with is, 
spend less than you earn. It sounds so simple, but it's a hard thing to do, especially early in your career. When you've put off so much, you have so much delayed gratification, and you want to actually spend some money and enjoy all the hard work that you've put in. So I know, Tay, you probably are sitting here itching to tell some crazy story about me. So let's see what you have. What would you like to add to cash flow planning? Well, initially, I was very resistant to cash flow planning because Ryan was doing all this analyzing and questioning without me knowing. And it seemed like I was getting grilled for every expense on our credit card. And a lot of it was stuff for the kids, stuff for the dogs. I wasn't spending money out shopping, buying extravagant things, but I felt like everything I purchased was getting judged. And so I would get really defensive when he asked me what I was buying or like in the fall time, I would have to buy winter clothes for the kids because seasons were changing. They were growing. They needed new clothes. And I felt like I was getting grilled. And I'm like, I went to Carter's or Gap online. It was 40% off. I did such a good job. I'm so proud of myself. And then he's like, what's this $200 charge here? So it was frustrating at first. But as I've seen over time, it's actually beneficial. He saves for our dogs. He has a separate account for them. So when things come up, there's already money that's set aside for expenses. So when our dog had a skin rash, he has allergies. He's allergic to grass of all things, and he loves to roll in it. He got a really bad skin infection, had to go to the vet. We had to do some antibiotics and steroids and stuff. I didn't worry at all about what the vet bill was going to be because I knew that Ryan had money set aside. So while it seems like cash flow planning is limiting, it's also freeing because you know you have pockets of money set aside for certain things. So it's not stressful at all. And now that I'm working and making money, you know, it's not a big deal if, you know, there's an unexpected expense related to our dogs, but it still stresses me out if we have a huge vet bill and we hadn't been planning for it. So luckily, Ryan has planned for it all and you should plan for these things too. So the the next piece that I think you need to be planning for is to protect the income so you can afford that ideal lifestyle and all the fun things in life. And I'm specifically referring to insurance. And this would be things like long-term disability insurance. And this would be term insurance. And I don't want to go crazy in depth into all the intricacies of this stuff because I've done tons of shows on it. We're actually going to be planning on doing several more shows coming up on specifics on each of those. But in April of 2018, I did a show called Winning Tactics for Finding the Right Insurance Policy. And in it, I talked with Larry Keller all about insurance, what to look for, what you need. And I think the biggest takeaway, if you haven't listened to that and you haven't actually gotten either term insurance or disability insurance, or if you have whole life or universal alert or any other type of permanent life insurance, you definitely need to go listen to that show because we talked through some of the specifics on it. But the key takeaway I want you to, to have for this show is that you need to use someone who is independent. This isn't a financial advisor that also sells insurance, heavily conflicted, and you're probably going to get sold some crap policies. This isn't someone who just works at one institution, Northwestern Mutual or Guardian. Even though Guardian's great and has great policies, they can only run quotes through their insurance company. Why would you only go to one place when you can go to an independent broker who can run it at dozens of places and come back with, hey, here are the three best options that you have? Because every company underwrites people differently based on medical history, based on earning potential, age, all the other crazy stuff that goes into it. So with long-term disability, make sure you have true own OC. Uh, Northwestern Mutual's own OC does not count. They will hate me for saying that, but it's absolutely true. Make sure you go through an independent agent if you still need disability coverage. And for those of you thinking, oh, I'm covered, I've got it at work. 
you need significantly more coverage than work provides. Usually work provides anywhere from 50 to 70% of your base pay. So let's just say, easy math, that you made $10,000 a month base pay. This is not including bonuses or anything else, and they cover 60%. Well, you get $6,000 benefit if you were to have a claim and go off on disability, which sounds nice and great. Could you live off 6,000 versus the 10 you were? But also remember that the 6,000 really isn't 6,000. You'll be taxed on that money. So you need a policy that will go on top of your work policy to give you that coverage to get as close as you can to replacing your full salary if something happened and you went out on claim. And I think the statistic is one out of every four people, regardless of profession, one out of every four will actually have a disability claim longer than 90 days in their lifetime. The next one is term insurance. And we've talked about term and I'm going to have another show coming up on term insurance and a couple other insurance, permanent insurance and going through the differences. So I won't do that here. But the one thing I want you to take away with term insurance is that you don't need, let's say you needed $3 million of coverage. That's what the calculators kind of spit out or your financial planner spit out and said, hey, this is what you need. Now you don't just go by $3 million for the longest period like 30 years. That doesn't make any sense because you're going to be overpaying for 30 years on that premium. What you would like to do is to do something called laddering. And that would mean, let's say that you got a $1 million policy at 15 years, a $1 million policy at 20, and a $1 million policy at, let's say, 25. And the reason you would do that is, so for the first 15 years, you have that full $3 million of coverage. But now you have three, 15 years of earning potential and savings and investments and growth in those investments, you might not need a full $3 million of coverage. So that first million rolls off and now you have left with $2 million of coverage for the remaining five years on one policy and 10 years for the next. Then five more years of growth and income and savings and all that great stuff. And you less you likely need less insurance. It naturally will roll off. Now, not only is that logical is how it would roll off as your investments and savings and everything grows, but you've saved all that premium because of 1 million 30 year policy is, you know, let's say it's a thousand bucks. Well, a 1 million 15 year policy is probably 500. So for 15 years or maybe even up to 30 years, you're saving that extra $500 a year in this example. That adds up. That is a lot of money. So laddering, I want you to take that away from the show is that if you need term coverage or if you have term coverage and you're overpaying, it's okay. You can get new coverages and cancel what you have. Just make sure that if you do that, you cancel after everything is in place and your new policies are in effect. So what do people do out there who can't get disability insurance or who can't get term insurance? I'm one of those people. I have type 1 diabetes, so I don't qualify for any, no one will underwrite me for any disability or term life insurance policies. So Ryan had to modify our financial plan a little bit, and he had to plan to have more cash in our reserves. So if something happened to me and I wasn't able to work, he had planned for that and had extra money set aside. And then once I started my current job, I was able to get some coverage. It's still not enough for Ryan to be happy and satisfied, but it allowed us to take some of the money out of those reserves and spend it and live a little bit more and put that money to work for us. And with disability, when I was pregnant with our daughter, I had appendicitis at 31 weeks pregnant and I had to take time off work. Fortunately, I was a fellow and I had vacation time saved up. But if I wasn't a fellow and was working in private practice, that would have been really challenging to take 
that extra time off work and then have a maternity leave on top of that. So fortunately, Ryan had planned ahead. I didn't have to take too much time off work and I didn't really have to take any unpaid leave. But if we hadn't planned ahead for that, it could have been catastrophic for us. So I'm thankful that Ryan planned ahead and that all that happened while I had some coverage and everything turned out great. She uh, stayed put till 40 weeks. I was ready for her to come out at the end. Then it all worked out, but we had planned ahead so that it wasn't stressful situation other than the medical stresses going on. And I guess I'll end this protection of income with just car, home, and auto insurance coverages. Now, residents and med students that are out there, you're probably rolling around with the bare minimum and maybe renter's insurance if you don't own your home, but you're rolling around with like the bare minimum on your limits and you probably have a super low deductible and you're you're paying as little as you possibly can for auto coverage. And I totally get that when you're in training, you know, money's tight and it's hard to do some of these things. But one of the things that you absolutely have to get is umbrella coverage. And that will force your car limits to go up higher because they will want to make sure that the umbrella really is never used. Now, I've had some people email me uh, in our community that say like, I don't believe in umbrella insurance. I think it's insurance basically scamming us. Have you ever known anyone that needs umbrella? I have known dozens of people who need umbrella and that claims happened that were from big accidents and things that just they you would never ever expect and their umbrella like basically kicked in and saved their butt big time and umbrella insurance is so cheap it's a couple hundred bucks for a million dollar policy it sits on top of home and auto and it's absolutely critical if you are a new attending or have been out for a long time that you have the appropriate coverages for home auto and of course umbrella now switching over to investing we have so many shows coming on investing that I don't want to go into crazy detail here, but there are a few things that I do want you to kind of take away with. Now, I did a show back in July titled The Surprisingly Not Surprising Differences Between uh, Retirement Plans. And in it, I went through like your 401k, your 403b, what IRAs are. And I think I talked a little bit about 529 investing, but I know I did a show on 529s where the show was called The True Cost of 529 Investing. Now, I want you to understand that investing in a 529 for your kid's college is not investing yourself. It is not increasing your net worth. It really, I mean, it will go into, you know, obviously to help them for colleges and help limit the expense of college in the future. But that is something that does not increase your net worth. It does not help you guys at all, other than it helps your kids. And This is one of those, you know, when you're on the airplane, they tell you, you know, put on your mask first before putting on one on your kid. And this is the exact same thing. Don't fund the 529 if you're not maxing out your IRAs every year. If you're not maxing out your 403Bs or your 401Ks every year, it starts to get different if you've got a 457, a governmental one, awesome choice, a non-governmental that now starts to become a little more gray. And there's a lot of differences between governmental and non-governmental, which I'll probably will go into in a different show. But just to keep it high level here, you got to make sure that you're maxing out those retirement accounts. And even if your work gives you a QG plan and they put money in or they match money, like absolutely get the match. But don't just treat that as, oh, this is the only money I need to set aside for retirement. Because you will likely need, can tell you likely with a 99% certainty, need more money than what's in your retirement accounts when you retire. 
you're likely going to set up a taxable account at whatever custodian of your choosing. We use TD Ameritrade Institutional for our, our clients, but you can choose Vanguard, you can choose TD, Schwab, their Fidelity. They're all great when they're big brokerage houses like that. And you're going to want to be saving it. And it could be something as little as 50 or 100 bucks a week, something tiny that will go in. And eventually over time, that will become a lot because compounding definitely will work in your favor the earlier you start. Kind of like the debt that was all on your student loans, the interest that would kept accumulating and accumulating. Well, if you invest, it does the same thing, but this time works for you. And Tay has a little interesting story that I know she wants to tell about investing. Well, Ryan wants me to tell it. It's actually kind of embarrassing. When I started residency, I knew that the doctors were prone to being targeted to buy products that they don't really need. And they were seen as people who had all this income potentially that could be taken advantage of. So when I first started residency, we were signing up for health insurance and signing up for all kinds of stuff. There's a 403B. I didn't know what it was. I don't even know if they used that term. At the time, I may not have known what that was either, but it was from an outside company. So someone from an outside company came in and talked to us about this and said we should be setting money aside. And I just saw red flags and did not sign up for this. I was like, I know a scam when I see it. That is a scam. So I thought I was doing something great. And I continued through residency, working 80 hours a week, not getting much sleep. And then in my third year, Ryan asked me something about retirement or savings. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. And he's like, well, you should look into it. So I reached out to our HR to find out information. And I found out this company that I thought was scamming us was the company that was servicing the 403B through my employer. So I had missed out on two and a half years of investing in this 403B. So the max you can put in a 403B is 18000 a year, which would have been challenging to do as a resident. But there's also employer match with the 403B. So if I had been putting money away, my employer would have been matching it. And Ryan likes to remind me that if I had invested in it all three years and it had a 6% return rate over 30 years, that would be worth 250K, which is a lot of money. So I missed out on that just because I didn't know what it was and I didn't know to ask. And I was living with a financial planner who knew all these things, but I thought that I knew what I was doing. I thought I knew what I was talking about. And so I really missed out on that. I don't want you guys to miss out on it. So if there's something that you don't understand, ask for help, not maybe from the person trying to sell something to you or advertising their product to you, but reach out to someone and ask for help so that you truly understand it and you don't miss out on all that investing income and all that compounding interest. And for clarification, the 2020 limit to go to your 401k or your 403b is 19,500. So it changes over time, year over year. Sometimes we get changes, sometimes we don't. But in 2020, the contribution limit is 19,500. And I wanted Taylor to tell that story because you can see that compounding over a long period of time, even though it's not a ton of money now, which as a resident, that still was a ton of money. And not saying that we could have met, we're at a point that we could have maxed it out. But we weren't married. We had just basically started living together and we weren't at the point of trying to join finances and all that stuff. So, they, you know, I helped with the student debt and making sure she was in the right repayments. But there was some stuff that I just kind of left without really digging into asking the questions and found out that the 403B was not being funded. Now, to her defense, it was a company called Valic, which is variable annuity life insurance company, which didn't have great investments. And just the sound of the company, if you say their full name, is kind of scammy is what it sounds like, even though they're not a scam company, but it sounds weird. So that give you a little, little credit there. 
The next piece I'd like to talk on is estate planning. And there's a couple things with this. When I say estate planning, and I, by the way, I did a whole show on this, like I said in the beginning, in August of 2019, about everything you need to know about estate planning. And I think we probably are going to do another show here pretty soon on estate planning in more detail. But there's a couple things. One is, like, I know that it's a lot of money to do estate planning. You're probably thinking, well, estate planning is only for when I have money, when I have assets. And it's absolutely not true. Estate planning is is actually really, really important even early in your career. And it is even more important if you have kids. Now, we've done our estate plan and we are actually just have basically redone it. And it it was really important because things changed. We want to make sure that we had everything in order. And so there's four pillars to an estate plan. And that's a will, a power of attorney, a healthcare directive, or our new estate plan attorneys call it coma documents, which are interesting and cute. And then a revocable or a living trust. And essentially just really high level. Estate planning is basically a written plan that's designed to identify your beneficiaries, Ensure that your property will be transferred appropriately to those that you designate after your death. And sometimes if you have a huge estate, it can help minimize taxes. Now, in this current legislation, that would be quite a bit of money that most of us will not hit. But if the office changes, all the laws could change and this could actually be more in focus in the future. But I'd like to just kind of give you a quick overview here is a will which is one of the four pillars, you know, at its simplest form is a legal document that basically states your financial and medical wishes. It again, it ensures that your property or your personal effects are cared for in the manner of your choosing. A living will or an advanced care directive or coma documents, they're called several things, but it that's what states what you would like for your wishes for end of life care. And It's a document that's only valid, obviously, at the time of your death, but it's kind of our second pillar of estate planning. And then you have a power of attorney, which differs. The rules are, I've actually found uh, fascinating when we work with clients all over the country, that this is one area that rules differ state to state. And that the power of attorney basically, though, is legal permission for another person to act on your behalf. And it's a document, it's fascinating how the rules can change state by state, but that's our third pillar. And then our last pillar, which some of you like that are in training will likely not need now, but if your estate plan attorney can do those together in a cost-effective manner, it might just be worth setting up early. But the final pillar is the living trust. And essentially that's an enforceable document that's crafted, of course, while you're living That can help reduce estate taxes. It can help plan care for your kids. It ensures privacy so people don't know what you own, the trust owns. It's almost like a whole nother living person, even though they're not. And it can actually save your kids from themselves because you can detail out if something were to happen to you and you were to pass or you and your spouse were to pass, that you don't just necessarily give the kids all the money at age eight or age 15 or 16, you can set how you'd like them to have their money over time. And estate planning is really, really important. And we just went through it again for the second time. And I thought it'd be really interesting to hear Tay's side of the coin here when we did it through a traditional estate planning the first time. And the second one, we've done it through an online provider, which I've loved. But what was your kind of take on all this, Tay? 
Well, let's be real. This is the stuff that no one wants to deal with. No one wants to think about. If you're not here, who cares? I'm not here to see what happens. But it's honestly, it's things that you need to have in place. Once you have it in place, you'll sleep a little bit better. But it's definitely my least favorite part of financial planning. I think I like this even less than cash flow planning. So the first time we went through it all, we worked with the local attorney and he did a great job. We filled out everything we needed to fill out with who is going to get our kids, how the money would be taken care of, and our healthcare directives and all that stuff. It was a very formal process. We had visits at his office and did everything, signed our names a million times, and everything was in place. So that was great. And then we felt like we needed to change some things in all those documents before this trip because a lot has changed over the past few years with our kids and where we are in life. And so we wanted to redo all those documents. And Ryan found an online company who was fabulous and sent over all the information that they needed. So we had time to think about who we wanted to take our kids with backups and backups. And there's even a section for your pets who would take your pets and you could set aside money each month for your pets. So you know that your pet was taken care of as well. And that was really helpful because we had time to think about it all. And then we sent it all in and new documents were made and all we had to do was get them signed and notarized. So it was a much easier process and I think a little bit friendlier for physicians who are busy and work a lot. You don't have to schedule an appointment and go in and sit down with an attorney. You just fill out all the stuff you want in it and then they put all the legal jargon in it and you get it signed and notarized and it's done. So this process has been much easier than the first time around. I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it, but it was less painful than the first time and I can sleep better knowing that we have everything in place how we would like it to be done. And also it was a lot cheaper to have it done through someone online than it was to have it done locally. Both of them did a great job, but the online one was way easier. Yeah, not only was it easier, but even the documents were put out in more plain English. They actually called your children children and not by the legal name of what the children are called. So, I mean, they broke things down in a lot more simplistic form. And we do that a lot with clients where we were acting kind of as a paralegal and walking through this so they didn't go into the same essentially situation that we went into when we did our estate documents where it was like thinking on the spot. And even though I knew what was coming and we tried to prepare for it, when you're sitting there, it's just a little more intimidating, if you will, especially if you're not familiar with the process and what you're actually signing and what these things actually mean. So I encourage you guys to go check out that show that I did back in August of 2019 to learn more about estate planning. So just a recap, you know, when you put together a financial plan, there's some big pillars to building this out. And the first piece is talking about life planning and to really understand, wipe away the thoughts of, oh, we have all this debt or, oh, you know, I don't know what we're doing with the money that's accumulating and you have analysis paralysis, just forget everything for a second and to go through and work through your goals and go back to listening with Taylor and I talking about the three questions and giving our answers. And I know we've talked about on our, our big spectacular show, I think it was like episode 163 or something like that. But Go through and figure out, you know, what is important to you and how you would like to spend your money and then start working on the cash flow piece of like, well, how does money come in and how does it go out? And don't try to make changes in the first 90 days. Just try to basically understand where things are going and then start to make tweaks once you have all the correct data. Definitely look over your insurances. This includes long-term disability insurance. It includes term insurance. If you have whole life insurance or other type of permanent insurance, please go see either a financial planner or go see an independent broker or an independent insurance agent to get it reviewed because physicians likely do not need that permanent insurance. We haven't found one that has, even though 
dozens and dozens and dozens of people that work with us have come in with them and are paying thousands of dollars a month in premiums. And it's just ridiculous. Investing is one thing that we talked about. Obviously, it's important. But if you notice, it's not the most important. And that's what everyone tends to focus on is what the returns are doing, what the market's doing, all that stuff. But look at how much we've put ahead of investing because you have to have the vision. Then you have to put in the behavior side of it and have the correct mentality and thought process around money to then turn around and have something to invest. And last, we we followed up with estate planning, which I know is not the sexiest of topics. It's not the thing that gets you really excited. I think it's funny, Tay, that you like that even least than cash flow planning. But the experience we just had, which I should actually bring note song on the show and talk about estate planning. The firm that we used was great. I'll probably reach out to them and see if they'd like to come on the show and talk about estate planning a little bit more. But the process has been fantastic with them and we've really enjoyed doing that even though it's a tough topic to discuss. So if all of this excites you, makes you feel overwhelmed, or just seems like something you never want to deal with, our book is for you. So the book is nice. It outlines everything that we've talked about today, and it goes into a little bit more details. And like Ryan said at the beginning, there's check boxes of things that you need to do and flow charts to get a visual representation of how everything works and fits together. And you know, building our financial plan and putting it in action has allowed for us to take this amazing trip and to spend time together. And it's helped make all this happen. And we've been able to do all this guilt-free and really been able to enjoy ourselves. So our book will be coming out in April. If you're interested in pre-ordering the book, you can find that at financialresidency.com slash books and sign up for pre-order. We'll get you on the list for that. And If you sign up for a pre-order book, you can get a signed copy by both Ryan and myself that, who knows, maybe worth some money one day. It's $5 off as well, and it's a great investment for your future, and we'll give you all the tools that you need to build your own financial plan. So if you'd like to see more from our trip, more of our amazing pictures, you can follow us on Instagram at Financial Residency, and thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks for everyone. We we really appreciate you guys. I can't believe how much the community's grown. We just had a huge milestone of uh, half a million downloads in about two and a half years, which is just mind blowing that has occurred. So please, if you enjoy the show, invite another physician or spouse of a physician to listen to the show so we can help them conquer their finances as well. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you on Friday. Cheers. All right. Before we end, it's Time, though, for our important disclaimer. We always have time for that because it's so important. So please treat this podcast as entertainment purposes only. Please don't rely on any information presented here and reach out to your CPA or your financial advisor before making any big money decisions because it's just the smart thing to do. So have a great week. See you guys next time. Cheers. Cheers.